I always like to, I'm always, I always feel led to, uh, to preach right, to pray right before I speak. Always. It's sort of more for me than it is for you. Father, uh, I pray for the equipping and the, the ability to see, think, say in a way that really does come from you, not from me. Uh, Father, there, we need your word. Many of us need your word in ways we don't know how to say, and we need to know and understand it, learn how to trust it, and ask for the presence of Jesus. Father, we ask to see Jesus. So we pray the Holy Spirit would do that work through me or, and in us. I pray for release, wisdom, grace to speak. Forgive the sins of the one who speaks because there are so many. And bless us because of Jesus. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, let's take a look here at the text. And we're going to read. Uh, if, you're, if, you, uh, if you want to, you can look for how many times in this little text Mark uses the word immediately. It's kind of fun. Immediately. One of the struggles of translating into English is in some ancient languages, the word and or the word immediately uh, are used as conjunctions. They're tying events together. But in English, it sounds grating after a little while. It sounds like uh, poor grammar or it sounds like poor writing. It really does. Many of you, do you remember being taught when, when you were taught how to write to not use the same word again in the next sentence and then again in the next sentence and then again in the next sentence? So for the American and the English year, a lot of the Bible can sound like it's not that well written. It's very unfortunate in the Hebrew because the word and is constant in the Hebrew, but in the actual original language, it's just a little, a little wow. That's all it is. It's just a joining, just a conjoining uh, little uh, a letter. So it's more invisible. It's, it's, it would flow better. But uh, you have the same problem here. And you'll see, and actually the Greek for this text, is a little, it's okay. It's not great. It's not as good as Luke. It's certainly better than Matthew. And, uh, it, but it reflects not a primary speaker. The person who wrote this is not a pri- this is not his first language. So it has a little bit of awkward construction to it at times. And you'll hear, and we're going to read the narrative. Now, the narratives, uh, the narrative text, I, and, and I wanna, one, of the, one of the things I don't like about preaching is I don't like the fact that we can't interact because there's like this wall, like this barrier, right? And I'm up here, I'm a talking head, and you're all the, the, uh, the listening heads, right? I'm the talking head, you're the listening heads. But I would really like it if we could engage, if we could move back and forth in dialogue. I'll do my best to do that. And, and if you have a really, if you're like, you're burning to, you're dying to ask a question, yeah, raise your hand and see what happens. And if I don't like the question, I won't answer it. Uh, but I'll do my best. So I want, I'm going to engage this. I want to engage you if you could. And so I want to take you into a reading of the text. So I'm going to ask a question before we read it. And the question, the, the thing I want you to answer, you, think about as we're reading it, is how quickly Mark gets to the point. Why? Mark, Mark has just started. And his economy, it's like he's got no time for any background or anything. He wants to get right to the jugular. In fact, he moves so quickly to, through John, uh, the Baptist, and to Jesus, and he gets right to the point, 
to the business at hand. And, 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 as he, and, and immediately, <laughs> that's the word he's going to use, immediately Jesus starts doing this. He starts walking up to people like Deepak and just goes, hey, follow me. And you'll, hey, you, fo- hey. And all of a sudden, this person, Jesus, this person who Mark is claiming is the son of God, all of a sudden he's interrupting everything. He's interrupting everything. I find that intriguing. Maybe, I think if we're reading this well, you should find it a little disturbing. And I think that's part of Mark's, Mark's narrative style. Let's open in verse 7, and uh, this is John, actually John the Baptist, preaching. That's the he that this references. And uh, we're going to read through verse 20. And he preached, saying, this is John the Baptist, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me. I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately... He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. My father was a disciple of Timothy Leary and Michio Kushi, uh, the Zen master, and before he came to Christ. And he was well-loved by the uh, Buddhist master's <clears throat> and uh, was invited to uh, be a part of their, of their world. And uh, also another part of that was in his search for spiritual experience in God, he was tripping on acid all the time. And you couldn't get acid easily in 1963, so he went down to Mexico City, and he would gather. He, I remember him describing buying these 100-pound bags of pot and Sandoz chemicals and he, uh, for LSD, and bring it back to Philadelphia. And you know what his friends said? Oh, man, Craig and Sue, one of my parents, they're so radical. 
that world began to crumble. He got busted uh, for smuggling, and then he could fully converted to uh, Buddhist practice. And he got so entrenched in Zen Buddhism, and he and they moved out into the they moved out into the woods. And we grew up uh, without any running water and in this primitive circumstances. I mean, it was clothing optional. I was a wild child running free, never went to school. And you know what all the friends said? Craig and Sue are so radical. So they're wild. Even the hippies and the beatniks thought my parents were edgy. And my father, uh, restless with life, hits the road, and we were living homeless, and uh, he's delivering kids at home, and, and they, they hit the road, and drug runners, and old, old lifestyle, and, and a madam was my babysitter, and, and all their friends were just like, man, Craig and Sue live on the edge. Um, after being homeless for about a year, a Christian family took us in. And my mom and dad accepted Jesus. My dad's been a PCA elder for the last 30 years. And all their elite friends at University of Pennsylvania and the hip scene and the Jewish scene my father came out of, he was Jewish. And all the, and, and I remember all these intellectuals living in these bizarre lifestyles and huge teepees out in the woods. And you know what they said when my parents came to Jesus? They said, Craig and Sue are out of their minds. <laughs> They're not, that's not cool. I did this again. Who's throwing these? They're out of their minds. They lost it. They're nuts. And they were no longer cool. In fact, it was really remarkable. I remember this. They lost everybody. They were so radical in the drugs. They were so radical as hippies. They were so radical in Buddhism. They were so radical on the road. They were so radical dealing with the... But when my parents became Christians, they lost everybody. Because now they were just plum crazy. My dad, I remember my dad was actually shocked. My dad was so shocked that he became a Christian and when he accepted Christ, when God invaded his life the way he did James, the son of Zebedee, all, the, all these men, my God, my, my, our God worked in my father's life in a very, very similar way. This is intersecting, just completely interrupting us, interrupting everything we were with saving love. And so I experienced this. This, this to me is, it sounds like my family. It sounds, I hear it. And, uh, and I wonder, you know, the, the way God worked here I wonder what I'm thinking about this morning, what I kind of want to, I want to dig our fingers into, and I want you to dig your heart into as we're looking at this text and, and the wonders of how God, how Christ enters in the world. Is, is this happening, is this happened to us? And, 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 and how do we interact with it? I, I don't want this New Testament story, I don't want this narrative of Mark to remain uh, somewhere in the scripture, I want it to be here. I want it to be something we taste and experience, something, some encounter with God that radically changes us so where everybody thinks we're crazy. Actually, that's my first thought about this text. So uh, J Jesus is preaching, and by the way, this is not really the whole sermon. Many of you would love to hear a sermon as short as verse 15 from my mouth, but it's not going to happen. It's because it's not a whole sermon. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a summation of everything he was teaching. And we'll see that we get later in Mark. And so, but then there's, 
so even, even these calls are summations. These are, these are, these are biographical set, sketches that are shrunk, right? They're shrunk down to miniature size. It, it probably happened a little bit, a little in, in bigger ways. There's more to this story. But for some reason, Mark wants you, he wants to engage you in a way in the narrative. So you are forced to wonder, how do you respond to this person, Jesus? Or you're forced to reckon, you're forced to go, like, okay, is this happening? Is this happening? Am I, am I, am I so aware? Have I so encountered the person of Jesus and his message? Have I so known this person called the Holy Spirit that John is talking to? Has this eclipsed me so that I realize I, everything has changed and I must respond? I was thinking about uh, this. Uh, this is a radical time. This is a radical city. I mean, radical things that, that that's sold out. Willing to leave everything, uh, career, uh, family, everything, just on the drop of a hat. I thought about. It. I wonder how the. I wonder how a skeptic. Imagine. So maybe you're a skeptic today. Maybe you hear this. You go, Yeah, I know what this is, and I know what happened to your parents, Chris. This is what unstable people do when they get around a radical ideology. They're suckers. That's what that is. That's how that happens. I remember, I remember uh, as a child in downtown Philadelphia how the communists were out all the time handing out their pamphlets. And I remember my mom describing how she they would have friends who would get connected with that world and they would just, just it's like their minds would disappear. Uh, the Moonies, have you ever seen the Moonies do this? And the, and the active recruitment, and people go in, and, 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 and the, so the cynic, I picture now the, the, the cynic, the skeptic, hears this, and he sees this in the text. He hears this story from Mark, and he goes, look, I don't believe anything you guys believe, and I imagine if you're a skeptic, you're going, I don't really want to be a part of your cult, Chris. No. I, uh, in, in, in Atlanta, I lived next to Georgia Tech, and um, one of the early people who came to Christ, his name was Cobb, and uh, good, good Georgia name, Cobb, it's his first name, and uh, I remember when his, uh, his mom contacted the dean of students, his mom called the dean of students at Georgia Tech to complain because he had, he had had this happen, he had completely changed. He had had this encounter here. And she said, I'd like to register a complaint about a Chris Robbins. I think he's a homosexual cult leader who is recruiting freshmen from the campus to seduce them. I told my wife that. I was I like, what? Are you a skeptic? By the way, that's not what's going on uh, here either. Or then, <laughs> just in case you're trying to avoid all confusion here. Are you, a skeptic? Are you a skeptic? There's another kind of person who's a seeker. And I picture some of us, though, perhaps we're not, we're not aggressively rejecting the narrative here. We hear about this immediately. That he's passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, and the narrative moves, and we see the word immediately again and again. And, uh, and you notice the conjunction, and, is being used again and again because it's being written by a Hebrew. And there's this, there's this flow, there's this, oh, golly. And I think if we're, maybe if you're seeking, if you're kind of, maybe you're kind of your feelers are out there this morning and you're kind of like, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to touch, I'd like to be connected with something that meant something to me like that. I would like that. That would be, that would be amazing. 
then you might be, you might be in a great position this, right this moment. And, I, and I've met this, and this is a wonderful experience where there's a, there's a certain kind of availability in our hearts where we would like to see something we cared about so deeply. We'd like there to be something in my life I cared about so much that I would look my dad in the eye and go, you know what? I appreciate the law degree, but I'm not, I don't care. Or whatever it is, or whatever, however the call looks, or, or whatever, how it, and with some of us, seek, and if you're seeking this, I want you to be available to it, because you might be in the right place at this time as we're going through the text, because the text is so wonderfully aggressive, it's so wonderfully meant to, to, to pique uh, uh, the interest and the, and, the, and the hunger of people who want to attach to something bigger than themselves. There's a third group I'm concerned about, though. So we got the skeptic, says you're crazy. The seeker says, huh, that's interesting. But then there's the cynic. Does anybody know what the word cynic means in Latin? Dog. These are the Christian dogs, I call them. And I say it that bluntly because that's what I think of it. There are the people that sit there and go, yeah, I've heard this kind of stuff before. I already put you on autoplay. I already pushed a little button in my head the minute you started talking, Chris. I pushed the button and I went, yeah, that's just, you know, I believe all this stuff, sure, but what are you going to do? What are you going to ask me to do now? Do I bet you want, do you want my money? What do you want, Chris? What are you after? I, you know, that's nice for that New Testament stuff. And yeah, I, we met a lot of people like this at Wheaton, didn't we? <laughs> The Christian cynics. And your weariness and your tiredness with ecclesiastical um, mumbo-jumbo has exhausted you to the point where you, you've never seen anything that was worth being sold out for or anybody that really was on the edge with a passion for Christ and a, an encounter with God that shook to their core. And you've begun to wonder, if it's, is it ever really real? And some of you actually experienced it in camp. You, know, you remember the moment you were like really excited? And what, what's happened? What happened? You kind of, you couldn't sustain it. So you've gotten cynical about the power and the possibility of this kind of response, right? And it kind of makes sense in the narrative. Interesting, interesting. Mark's going to end, Mark is going to end with these same men abandoning Jesus. Don't be discouraged by a story. Don't be cynical because you're part of a story where you've walked away at times. Mm. Be hungry again. There's a final person, I, call the, I would call that person the fourth category, the sinner saint. And this is a person who just wants to hear anew, just wants to be caught up again and given it all for Jesus. How are we going to make that happen? We need to enter the perfect storm. Anybody see the movie, by the way, The Perfect Storm? Man, is it cool. By the way, if, if, if a northeaster is coming down on the, on the Atlantic and, uh, and, uh, and the combination, remember the story, a, a ship was, a fisherman's ship was just, just lost and the wonderful movie captured, remember, and it, there's a moment at the end with the wave, a big hundred foot wave and the boat can't make it over the wave and it cra- And the idea being there's a perfect a storm. Uh, they create the perfect storm idea in San Andreas. Did anybody see San Andreas? Uh, uh, it is a terrible movie. 
uh, that has nothing to redeem itself, except if you live here, you get to watch all the stuff you know get busted up. And so that's kind of fun. Everything gets busted up. Everything gets busted up. Uh, and uh, because the perfect storm happens uh, seismologically. I want to invite you into the perfect storm. The perfect storm begins. The perfect storm begins with recognizing the greatness of Jesus Christ. Your being radical is not about you. And there's something about the greatness of Christ, and I've, I've invited you into these words again and again. I hope you hear them again, because, because Mark is positioning Christ before you in a cosmic way when he says the time is fulfilled, as if to say that clock, or these clocks around you, they have meaning because of me. <laughs> this is my grandeur. The time is fulfilled. This is my greatness. The kingdom of God is near. Oh, what a wonderful little, oh, this is so much fun. Deepak, uh, I'm picking on you because you're falling asleep. Stand up. Stand up. All right, pick it on. I love to pick on Deepak. All right. So, all right, picture, uh, you're, 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 uh, I'm going to be Jesus. For, you say it. You be Jesus for a second. Because it's just better that way. Okay. All right. So, say the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. And it's what I picture everybody around Jesus going. You get the iron? You get the joke here? Where? Where? Do you get the humor in Christ saying the kingdom of God is near? Why? Because he's standing right next to... He's here. Thank you. The rule and reign of sovereign creator is here. To do what? To bring the gospel of good news, rescue for... So the first part of the perfect storm... For us to be aroused, I think, and pricked into new, new passion for Jesus is to recognize his grandeur. It's to see again his greatness and his glory. To perceive again that he is greater than our dreams were of love from God. That he is greater than, that he has eclipsed all things. And you hear it every, every one, every one of these men as they, as they, as they wrote later in the script, as they wrote and preached later, the first thing, the first words out of Paul's mouth in Ephesians and, and in Colossians and in Hebrews is, is the pure wonder of he who made all things loved us. If there has to be a, a renewal in, let's say, in church attendance or passion for Christ or renewal and, and, and new salvation for skeptics or rescue for cynics, healing in our... It has to begin with a sense of his grandeur, his person, his beauty, and his love. What's the second part of the servant storm? So that's clear, but the second part, the second part of that clear vision I want us to entice us to is a renewed... A renewed joy in that in, in that in the in that uh, in in the message. So it's not just it's not just him, but what he has come to do and say and be. And that's the picture of Deepak standing there, as if Deepak is Jesus. He says the kingdom of God is near, and, and he says repent and believe, good news. And, and he, what he's saying is there is now because of Jesus a new availability. See the problem with me calling you to radicalness is that you have a schedule, you've got family commitments, you've got your heart loves already, right? 
And you got to remember, James and John did too. They had things they loved. They had things they wanted to do. They had dreams about the future. They had all sorts of things and treasures that they loved because their hearts were opposed to God. And some way, in some beautiful way, this great man comes and he does what I can't do. He does what no man, he says, follow me. And then he provides in himself, in his own tenderness, in his own body, rescue for sinners. Rescue in his blood. Rescue. Because he's near. It means he's available. He's get the sense of accessibility that happens here. You get the sense, well, to use uh, Mark's language, immediacy. Right? As if, as if all the treasures of God's love and rescue for sinners is now literally, literally, as if in your heart right now, literally just, 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 just a, a stretch, a heart stretch out to call out on God to, to new, this message is a beautiful message of love and, a, and the love of God and the fullness of all His grace present for us right now, immediately. And do you get the perfect storm that's brewing here? Do you get a sense of the cyclone of God's power and choice that starts whirring? And these men are caught in its orbit and they're caught in its, its, its force and they're caught in its draw because they have seen the glory and they have heard the, the story, the message of the availability of a new love and a new presence from God. He's, Jesus is about to go out and start touching lepers. He was forbidden to touch lepers. But he touches the leprous heart that you've got, David, and he gives you new life. New life and restoration. The, if, you, if we will grasp who he is, if we will grasp what he has done, the perfect storm's brewing, isn't it? The cyclone's starting to start. And I want us to be caught up in its orbit, caught up in its power, caught up in the forces that will rip, rip this whole city apart. Because the third part, and the third part is what seals the deal. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yes, yes, we need a great vision of the God-man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, renewed in our minds and our imaginations. And that will be good. That will be hope. That's one of the great joys of my tradition is the second part, to understand the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of redemption and justification and sanctification that I am bought and forgiven and renewed and regenerated. Mm. Good, good. But it's not enough yet. What's the, what's the final part of the storm? That makes it starts drawing in these men, compelling them to look at their dad and go, Dad... I know it's the family business, but you don't understand. You just walked by. And what he has said to me, what's gonna, what punches the deal? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the final piece of the puzzle. And we need a clearer vision, as we need a clearer vision of Christ and a clearer vision of the gospel and what it means for us to be saved in his blood. We need finally... A clear vision and hunger for what? His sovereign act, his sovereign movement, his sovereign love, his sovereign power, his sovereign anointing, his sovereign work, irresistibly to call men, trusting it, living in it, asking for it, seeking it, and so that we can be caught up in the pull. Um... I thought about this. I was um, the skeptics would say we're suckers. The seeker says, "Maybe me. If it's you, then maybe me." The cynic says, "I gave up." 
And I think the sinner saint who knows Jesus says, give me more. And so um, I hope today, look in the narrative, I hope today, it could be easy right now for me to be kind of glib, right? And I could put, I could position myself up here and I could say, look, I'm the church planter. I gave it all. Don't believe that for a second. I got all sorts of selfish reasons for being in ministry. I have all sorts of vain reasons why I would be a church planter in San Francisco. I'm the coolest church planter in the whole freaking country in my denomination. I mean, it feeds me if I want it to feed me, right? I mean, I can, I can suck, I can suck all the glory I want if I want to, right? I can just be, you know, I mean, and I'm vain enough and conceited enough to do it too. Trust me. It is just as much of a challenge for me to be sold out as it is for you. I hear the siren call of my idols and the desire to make a name for myself and to make my future secure and to love my family and to love my job and to secure my place. I am as tempted as you are every week to abandon ever being completely surrendered to God. I am, I am capable, and one of the things we'll do, I know some of us have done this, I am quite capable, just like you are, of kind of, of not being in the scriptures, because let's face it, if Christ is just a little bit duller than his full glory, I don't, it doesn't convict me as much, and convict, not being convicted is kind of nice, because then my sin is not, doesn't feel as bad. Anybody else caught up in this problem? Can I have a show of hands? So who else is happy to have Jesus just a little bit dull? Because if he's too bright, what happens? You can't get away with anything. You can't even enjoy the sick little things you love to do. That sucks. But it doesn't, really does it. You're being told a lie right there. It's just as much of a temptation for me to abandon the whole the hopes of grace and the immediacy of Jesus. It's just as much of a temptation for me. And so I don't want to be glib. I just want to sit here and shake my finger and say, you need to be more sold out for Jesus. What I want to do is I want to say, will you join me? As a part of this project of planning a church or praying together, will you join with me in asking God for the perfect storm of renewal and revival for our city? Will you join with me, standing with me, to ask God to make me and claim me and anoint me and anoint you and take us all and make us all the instruments of his glory? Will you just join me? Let's together ask for this project, this perfect storm that hit these men when they didn't even see it coming, let's ask for them to do it again, for Christ to be ever more clearly preached and announced, and ever more clearly understood in his message, and the Holy Spirit to flow ever more freely, fully, and finally to his children, because that's the only hope for this generation. It's not going to work to have another, it's just not going to work. I can't finesse the gospel in San Francisco. Anybody try to do that? It doesn't work. It won't work for my neighbors. It won't work in the cast room. We need Jesus, fully, finally, and free. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in some part, by some measure, in your glory, I have told these people the truth about who you are. And wherever I didn't, your Holy Spirit went and did it. I praise you for the way you, I mean, we were a family interrupted by you. You interrupted my father on his way to destruction because he was destroying us all. 
you interrupted us with the beauty of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, in fact, we're here, I'm here to plant a church, I guess, and we're here to worship you. Will you interrupt us? Do what you please. Do what you will. And, but I would pray now by the Holy Spirit for a vision of your Son, by your Holy Spirit in its presence, a vision of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his salvation, a vision of the blood and the cross, a vision of myself as a sinner, saved and loved by your grace, to become huge in my imagination and my mind. I pray this in Christ. Amen. Amen.